Welcome to the Shibari Study Podcast. I'm your host, Wicked Ren. Today, I'm speaking with Adrian, the creator of Rigged Threads. Adrian makes stunning rope bondage-inspired embroidery, and her art has been shown in galleries across the U.S. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Thanks for having me. Is it true that when you are stitching hair, you use tiny little rollers to curl the hair on the models? And you... Uh yeah yeah on some of them there's one that has red hair and i found plastic straws which was right when plastic straws were also like banned from the world um so i had to find these plastic straws and roll the hair and then put little bobby pins in it and that was that was fun i felt very proud of myself for that one (laughs) how did you come up with that So there's a few artists who are really, really good with embroidered hair. And I messaged one of them and I was just like, how are you so good? And she was like, I can't tell you my tricks because like, I need to stay employed. And I was like, valid. Um, She's like, but really just look at hair and think about how hair works and you will get a lot better at doing hair. And I was like, okay. And so I started paying more attention to, you know, how the color in hair works from like the nape of the neck to the front of the head, how the cut, um, like how your stylist cuts your hair, um, how it falls. And so one of the things I'm most proud of about in my progression is like when I look at my original stuff, the hair kind of looks like a broom (laughs) in my mind. And then it gets progressively more hair-like. So the rollers were just like, okay, well, how do you make any hair curly? You put it in rollers. So let's try it. (laughs) The hair that you have is dead on. And also the rope is too. I've heard that you use small tweezers in order to get the different knots and frictions and things. Yeah. And there are some times where I like learned how to do the knot before I made the piece, but ultimately, you know, you can't recreate a 3d tension on a 2d body. That's also fabric. It just isn't going to work exactly. I try to mimic it as close as possible. That's also part of the reason why I don't know many of the names because I just like look very intensely at them. And so some of the frictions are the exact frictions and then I'll pin them down and sew them. Other times I kind of cheat and just make them look like the knot they're supposed to look like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you learned how to embroider from your grandmother, right? Mm Mm-hmm. What were some of the first things that you stitched with her? I actually still have this little button creature that we made where we took buttons and stacked them. It's, it looks kind of like a like a little person, a little voodoo doll of buttons. And that was one of the first things that we made together. I don't have any of the things that she and I made together, but... I distinctly remember the smell of the basement where I learned how to stitch and she like taught me how to tie the knot. And I'm, I wish I could show you, but you essentially lick your two fingers, roll your thread around your finger and like roll your pointer finger against your thumb. And she would have me do that on repeat until I could get the knot done really, really quickly. 
when your mom saw your art, she said that she was concerned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was like a lot of cry. My mom and I are close now. We've had tricky, as most parents and children do, a tricky yes. relationship. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but she is very emotional and very willing to tell me how she's feeling and also very willing to listen to me. So I feel really lucky. Like I, I kind of knew I was like, okay, I'm going to tell my family I'm doing this. Cause I am literally so proud of myself. My mom, you know, cried a lot and essentially started telling me about a friend of hers who had entered an SM relationship and that relationship didn't go very well. And so my mom and I sort of hashed all of this out and it came down to she, like many people, conflate SM relationships with abuse. And so we sort of talked about quote unquote normal relationship can also be abusive and how I feel like I'm pretty, <laughs> a pretty solid person. And also just, we established, I will never talk to my mom about sex. <laughs> By me telling you about my embroidery and my successes and my pride and something beautiful that I'm making, I am not necessarily telling you about my sex life. <laughs> It sounds like your embroidery was a catalyst for growth between your mother and you. Yeah, it was. Honestly, like there's this point in time where I didn't understand like internet anonymity, how to like stay safe on the internet essentially. So I had my rig thread account connected to my personal Facebook. And then my mom got up like, do you know this person? And I was like, oh, hell no. And she was the one who literally... When I say screenshot, she took a physical photo of her computer screen and texted it to me. Like a true mom. Like a true mom. She was like, you need to stay safe. But yeah, it was, it was a learning curve that she helped me with. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it yeah. seems like you two both benefited from yeah. this. And honestly, like at this point, she'll sometimes sort of allude to it and she'll allude to like my artistic endeavors um, in general, because, you know, now I'm, I'm making more leather work um, than embroidery and she'll sort of just inquire about my, you know, belts and bags and we stay <laughs> yeah. sort of obtuse when we want to. And uh, yeah, we have an ability and she has an ability to sort of ask questions in an obtuse way, and I will answer them in an obtuse way. <laughs> Speaking of asking, the first thing when you visit your website is yeah. a phrase that says, there's joy in asking. That's something that I really love. I really love this process, which is the behind the scenes for each piece that I make, which is a conversation. I always ask the model, the photographer, and anyone else who's um, cited in the original picture. And I say cited instead of tagged um, on purpose. Um, and so I contact all of those people and I ask them if it's like, is it chill to move forward with this? And the answer is very often yes. And 
uh, as I progress, if I want to make any edits to it, I will also ask. So sometimes in the original photo, someone will be wearing clothes and I'll ask to either edit it or change it or remove them or remove some of them um, or change their hair color or something like that. And I've gotten a variety of responses. Sometimes people are like, nope, clothes stay on, or you can change what I'm wearing, but they need to stay on. Um, You can change the color of my hair, but please keep the length the same. And I feel like that's an important conversation as art is made from that image of that person's body and that person's representation of themselves. Because, you know, a lot of work went into making that original photo and negotiating that original image. And between the people who made it and then the person who is presenting themselves, how they want to be seen. And so I want to respect that process and sort of move that process forward as it become abstracted from that person originally, but why not keep them in the conversation? And I think that kind of keeps that person more involved and more in actually in the embroidery that I make. And I also just love the conversations that I have um, after it. (laughs) Yeah. Having that input and having those constraints, I feel like makes better art. Agreed. My professional background is science. And as you're writing in science, you always cite the people who kind of came up with stuff before you. And I love that about science. It's like, that idea of you're standing on the shoulders of giants and all that, but Mm -hmm. nobody's ideas are an Island and pretending that they are is actually, I think, silly and almost disrespectful. (laughs) Every image that I make comes from inspiration, the conversation, the beauty, the practice, the skill, the sometimes pain of the people involved. And I want to, honor that and be like, you're a part of this thing that I'm making and I couldn't make it without you. So thank you. (laughs) You seem like a really good collaborator. I try to be, I try to be. Did you find science first or art first? What was the first love? They are intertwined. I see them as, (laughs) I see them as similar and I'm really grateful that more and more people are seeing intersections between science and art and that artists are finding ways to display scientific understanding and scientists are like, okay, I can't convey this image without, you know, a really dope artist to help me. All knowledge is, I think, more fully understood when it's words and images and numbers, also like math a lot, all put together. Um, If you can represent things in multiple modalities, then you can see different aspects of it. You know, you take a picture of one angle, it looks really great. You take a picture from a different angle and you're like, oh, that sucks. I think having multiple modalities is the same thing as pictures from different angles. You've spoken about radicalizing embroidery. And I feel like that's kind of what you're doing right now with your art is you're combining all these different things together. What does radicalizing art or embroidery mean? I feel lucky that there's a lot of people that have kind of taken the skill of embroidery and put it to concepts that no one had before. You know, you think of embroidery as like little old lady who's making little napkins. And if you 
do any internet searching for embroidery now. It's all like, fuck this shit. Yeah, very <laughs> boys irreverent. Will be, boys will be held accountable for their actions. Yes. And, you know, all this feminist embroidery out there and all this pro-queer embroidery out there. And just people are taking something that is very analog, very almost antiquated and being like, no, we're going to apply it to the issues and the concepts that are happening right now that are really important to us. And for some reason, when you curse in embroidery, it sounds like way more cool yes, (laughs) and way more intentional. There's a piece where somebody embroidered this big thing that's like, I'm so mad I had to stab something 3,000 times. And it's literally a giant embroidered protest hoop. And there is something really magical about stabbing the word, you know, fuck into something. Yes. (laughs) And that goes even farther into the people who are really researching the history of textiles and how it's actually been a radical field for years and years and that patterns meant things in the railroad underground in quilts and that all of these histories of quote-unquote women's work but now is everyone's work thankfully um has all of these little clues and messages of a better world that we could make a more inclusive world a more dope world and it's just it's just really exciting that people are putting it out there in this really usable medium. It's not just hidden away in sort of academic texts anymore. People are making things and then quoting academic text in their Instagram posts and being like, this is why this is dope. <laughs> it's so funny how you said the whole stabbing thing. We never think about embroidery being so aggressive. We never think about that part of it. I mean, you don't until you have to untangle your like 14th knot of a piece and you're just like, God damn it, stupid thread is trying to kill me. (laughs) So what do you do when something's not going right? When your piece just isn't happening or you're failing? Well, there's one piece where I completely took out the person's face and superimposed a different face on top of their... It was... It's not my favorite. Um... (laughs) Sometimes I power through. As we Uh, all do. Luckily, fabric is pretty resilient. You can undo stitches multiple times. And there are definitely pieces where I'll see them and just be like, yeah, that nose took me 14 tries. And the fabric almost ripped. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not very good at stopping things. I'm not very good at abandoning things. So I've actually posted my very, very, very first piece, I think is terrible, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to post it because I do not want to hide behind my perfectionism. I want to make this visible because everything is a learning process. (laughs) That's really powerful to say. I do the same thing where in the beginning I do a couple things and I will never post them. And I realized that my perfectionism was actually just me being afraid. Yeah, it's actually an interesting point because right now I'm dealing with the perfectionism of having COVID really mess up any skill that I had in actually doing rope. (laughs) I was starting to feel confident 
in my abilities to put rope on a person and then COVID happened and I moved. Now I'm trying to get back into the swing of it and it is really scary. So I'm trying really hard to not hide behind my perfectionism in as many modalities as possible in terms of my embroidery. I have that first piece up, the leather work that I'm doing. I try to put out errors or things that I'm trying to grow at. Um, And in actual Shabari, I'm trying to, you know, just be like, okay, I'm going to get better. (laughs) I'm going to be safe as I get better. So in regards to rope, I've heard you say that you're more excited than skilled right now. Yes. I am more excited than skilled. What does that mean? (laughs) And I ask because I think many, many people feel the exact same thing that you feel. Yeah. I definitely have a lot of the conversation whenever I'm starting to tie somebody new or newer is around like, I'm going to apologize periodically. I'm not going to be super rope toppy. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of giggles. I'm going to have to undo things. And that's where I am right now. I think that's partially to keep myself understanding that, you know, it is okay to be where I am. And where I am is exactly where I should be based off of the amount of practice that I've had. And that's, you know, something that I feel really lucky about. If I really think about how many times a week do I practice, which is once if I am lucky, then the technical skills that I have match exactly the amount of practice that I put in. Um, But every time I'm ready to practice, I'm so excited to do it that I'm like, okay, I'm going to try something like new. And the understanding that I should build in a lot of time to practice the stuff I feel already good at before I try something new has been really helpful. So I sort of force myself to practice something I've already done and focus on a different aspect of it. And that's been really nice. And what ends up happening in that, because I am sort of forcing myself to slow down and not let the excitement push me into something that I I might not be ready for, or just into this new territory, I'm getting better at the skills that make the whole flow better. I'm not apologizing as often um, for something that I shouldn't apologize for. Not the nervous apology of learning that sometimes happens. Or I'll realize that I'm breathing better and then the person I'm tying is breathing more comfortable. And so it's less about practicing the where does the rope go, but more about practicing the energy exchange. And when I've sort of started focusing on that, the skill and the excitement were more matched than the excitement kind of taking over um, and the skill aspect of it being like, wait, you're leaving me behind. (laughs) Yeah, it really allows you to focus on who you're trying to connect with. Yeah. You had your art displayed at a dungeon, correct? A few. How is it seeing your art in a kink space specifically? I love it. Um, It's so fun to watch people look at the art because then I get to become the voyeur. (laughs) And I don't stand there and I'm like, this is mine. I'll kind of like be lurking in the shadows weirdly. And the, the 
thing I like the most is watching them want to touch it, but know that they can't because it's art. Yes. (laughs) This is the golden rule everyone knows. Do not touch the art. But then they're also like, but it's embroidery and you're allowed to touch fabric and you're, I'm touching fabric. And so like sometimes people will sneak a little hair flip and I'm fine with that. I touched the thing for hours. Um, (laughs) I've actually watched people like swat their friend's hands away and that's kind of weirdly hot. Um, (laughs) So the real reason why you make this is so you can fulfill your voyeuristic fantasies. Yes. Okay, great. Uh, yes. So where are you going from here? What's next? What do you have coming up? Last year, I sort of put out some posts where I was like, I am retiring from embroidery. I am not doing this anymore. That is clearly a lie. Um, <laughs> I have really enjoyed making leather. Um, and I definitely am going to be doing that for a long time. But you can't really bring leather on trips. And as travel will become a part of my life again, I think embroidery will come back. It was really nice. I just took a trip. It was really nice to do embroidery while traveling. But right now, a lot of my time is spent in my garage making leather stuff. And I feel really happy about that. Well, I want to thank you for being on and sharing your story. It's fascinating. And I can't wait to see more of your embroidery and your leather creations. Thank you. This is wonderful. (laughs) Amazing. Well, I will talk to you very soon. All right. Bye.